Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, my friends. I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends. Let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, today's guest is none other than the genius, Max Lugavere. Many of you might know him from his brilliant and outstanding number one podcast on iTunes, The Genius Life, or many of you might know him from his books, The Genius Life and Genius Foods, which were both New York Times bestsellers. But today, Max has another genius book coming out, which is called Genius Kitchen, which combining the dietary recommendations in his best-selling Genius Foods and the lifestyle recommendations of The Genius Life, Genius Kitchen features shockingly delicious, nutrient-packed recipes that will energize your mind, strengthen your body, and pave a path to health that you'll feel with the first bite. So basically creating your own genius life with genius foods in a genius-style kitchen. You too can become a genius cook. How about that? (laughs) We all want to be geniuses, right? Um, And it sounds good to say too. But Max Lugavere is a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of New York Times bestsellers, Genius Foods, Becoming Smarter, Happier and More Productive While Protecting Your Brain for Life, which was published in eight languages around the globe. And he's the host of the number one iTunes health podcast, The Genius Life. He appears regularly on Dr. Oz Show, Rachel Ray Show, and many, many others. And today he has a brand new book out for you guys, The Genius Kitchen. Uh, It's already out, so you can go and get a copy of it right now. This is a conversation that I think is going to help a lot of you. I am a huge fan of cooking and cookbooks and being able to get inspired by a lot of the different recipes that, you know, work for me and they might work for you too. I'm, I uh, personally find 
healthy and delicious recipes from people that that do science uh, or, or they look into the science and they create it as a result. Uh, more affirming for me <laughs> when I go into the kitchen and start cooking too. So make sure that you go and support Max uh, by getting a copy of his book. I'll make sure the link is in the show notes below for you. But this is a fun conversation. He calls me Ray. Uh, maybe you thought my name was Ray uh, a couple of times. Who knows? But Jay and Ray, I can understand why you can get that confused. <laughs> but anyway, it's a, a terrific conversation. Love speaking with Max. Hope you can support him even more by sharing this conversation around. Tag him and uh, tag me on social media as well. Leave a rating and review over an Apple podcast as well. Um, all right, my friends, really do appreciate you, but you know what time it is. It is time to be a genius. We're going to learn how to be a genius, actually, but as we dive into the story box and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Max Lugavir. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here. And uh, yeah, man, I love that we both have the, the film nerddom in common because I started out um, actually as a filmmaker in college and uh, that led to me actually becoming a journalist as, oh. a, as, a, as a college graduate. That my, my decision to, to major in film. And, um, and to this day, I'm actually still working on my debut film as a filmmaker, which I believe is probably going to be out at some point, if not this year, next year. And I've been working on it for seven years at this point. Um, it was originally called Breadhead, which is no, it's no longer called that. Uh, we have a new name for the film, which we haven't, we haven't revealed yet, but it's basically the world's first ever film about dementia prevention, dementia as a potentially wow. preventable condition. Yeah. And why did you decide to make a film based around dementia prevention? That's interesting. Yeah, it's because my what what really has been the the spark that has motivated all of my work up until this point has been my mother. The fact that my mom at a young age was diagnosed with a, a rare form of dementia called Lewy body dementia, which is like having Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease at the same time. And so all of my research, my why is the fact that my mom's life was incredibly tragic and she had really poor health. She had a short health span, a short lifespan, and I've really realized um that my purpose in life is to under is to tr is to is to is to investigate why this would have happened to her and to share my findings out with people i realized that i have a i guess a, a knack or a, a, an aptitude for for understanding science even though my background is not as a medical doctor i didn't you know go through and earn a phd anywhere i'm purely motivated by by an, what what is ultimately a really human interest story, and it's you know we all we all have whether it's our parents or or others in our life, loved ones, mm. and if anybody who's ever had a sick loved one will test to, it's like a bomb going off in your world, yeah. and so and so yeah, just helping helping others separate fact from fiction, um, and ultimately end up with a different fate than what my mother suffered from. It's really, it's really hard to watch someone you love deteriorate over a period of time. Was your mother someone that was relatively healthy to begin with? It's a good question. She, she was healthy in the sense that she was not overweight. Um, and she ate a diet. She, she would have described herself certainly as being health conscious. Yes. Mm -hmm. But, um, for her generation, 
it's only you know the past couple of decades that that recreational exercise really became something that was pop that that has become popular and mass. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like we now people like us, we go to the gym, we love fitness, exercise, maybe even bodybuilding because Instagram has helped popularize that. But generations, prior generations, that was a very niche interest yeah. area, and I think. Um, it was niche for everybody, men and women, but women in particular certainly shied away from resistance training and, and stuff like that. And I know that my, whenever my mom exercised for the vast majority of her life, it was to burn calories like most women still do, unfortunately, these days. Yeah. Um, she had a, a dietary pattern that was, quote unquote, healthy, and I'm using air quotes, in accordance with what she learned from the mainstream media about uh, about healthy eating, about 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 nutrition. And she was by and large mostly concerned with cardiovascular disease. And so looking retrospectively, she ate a diet that was predominantly low in fat, particularly saturated fat and mm. low, if not uh, completely devoid of dietary cholesterol. She was a, she was a, she ate a fish in, in moderation, like here and there. And she also ate lean, skinless, boneless chicken breast for the protein occasionally. Um, but she was uh, largely vegetarian. So she had a lot of grain products. If it had a red heart healthy logo on it in the supermarket, um, it, you know, that was the kind of product that would catch her eye and would end up ultimately in the, in the shopping cart. Um, we ate growing up, we never used butter. It was always margarine in those, in those pale yellow tubs. Um, never any animal fats to cook with. Uh, we didn't even really use extra virgin olive oil all that much, which is a fat that I talk about now all the time as being medicine for the brain and body. But, um, you know, she cooked with, I remember there was always this big plastic jug of corn oil by the stove and, and she, and, and for the majority of my upbringing, I remember we used commercial salad dressings, which for the most part is, is made of soybean oil these days and other grain and seed oil. So that was the dietary pattern. She was trying to, she did the best that she could with the information that, that she had. But we now know that many of, many of the tenets that she held, uh, that, that she believed to be true about nutrition were falsehoods. And so I've become very passionate about as I mentioned, helping people understand what actually is factual when it comes to um, nutrition and what is just straight up BS. So do you believe upon your research that diet was a major contributor to her ending up without dementia and Alzheimer's? I think it's multiple factors. I think that um, my mom, I think that diet played a role. I, I My hypothesis is that had she had a diet that was more balanced, had less refined grain in it, had less of these unhealthy grain and seed oils in it and, and, and had, um, a broader array of animal derived nutrients. Um, I think that she would have fared better. I, it's a hypothesis. Obviously I'll never be able to test, but I don't think it was just diet. I think that, um, you know, as I mentioned, it was a lack of, uh, of variety in her, in her exercise and maybe even a lack of, of overall exercise. She really, didn't exercise that much. I think that especially people who are blessed with the characteristic of being thin, they tend to think that they don't really need to exercise as much. And my mom was not, as I mentioned, she was not overweight. Um, she struggled with depression a lot, I think, in her life and, 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 and finding healthy ways to deal with that um, probably would have served her. Uh, depression is a risk factor for dementia. Um, stress, chronic stress is a risk factor. But yeah, I think that altogether, all of these various lifestyle factors 
Um, we have to be mindful of all of them. Dementia, like cardiovascular disease, like cancer, these are multifactorial conditions. Yeah. So I've been very careful over the years to not point my finger at one aspect of my mom's diet and lifestyle and say, you did this wrong. If you would have done that right, everything would have been different. That's not true. And, and, and of course, it, go, it should go without saying that you can do everything, quote unquote, right and still develop this, you know, mm -hmm. any of these conditions because we don't know everything. But, um, but I do think, I do think that, uh, that eating, eating differently and, and maybe adopting some of these different dietary principles that, that we like to talk about that, that her fate would have been different. Yeah, absolutely. I think prevention or trying to prevent something from actually occurring and having the knowledge behind you is far superior than not having it. And then, uh, making it worse for yourself. I think that that's where, I, where a lot of people go wrong is like, Oh, what's the point? If it's hereditary, then I'm probably going to get it anyway. No, no, no. You can at least give your lifespan a little bit more, more years. If you just eat properly exercise and do all the things necessary that give you a healthy, healthy life and longer, longer lifespan, as they say. Absolutely. I mean, the, the reality is today our lifespans are, are increasing because medicine is getting better at keeping us around longer, right? But we're not, we're not seeing an increase in our health span. We're seeing a decrease in our health span. The health span really describes not just the years in our life, but the life in our years. How, how many years we're able to spend virile and healthy and without disability and without chronic disease. And that's shrinking for many of us. Many of us are spending an inordinate amount of time in our, in our, later years, uh, taking pharmaceuticals, um, frail and, and, and disabled and lonely and struggling with depression and things like that, which is definitely not how I want to spend my later years. Um, so it's about extending both. It's about extending both our lifespans and our health spans. Yeah. Why is, why is our health span dramatically decreasing if we've got like so many available drugs and medications at our beck and call to sort of keep us quite healthy. Because health, you know, it's like people, uh, heart disease is not caused by a statin deficit. Mm. Alzheimer's disease is not caused by a Namenda deficit, which is Namenda is one of the uh, more commonly prescribed drugs for to treat dementia. We're sick because... We're eating aberrant diets that are not biologically appropriate for the human animal. 60% of the calories that we consume these days come from what are called ultra processed foods. And these foods make no mistake are at the foundation of the obesity epidemic. Mm -hmm. And whether or not a person is obese or overweight, these are the kinds of foods that drive metabolic illness. And many, many people, of course, will see their waistlines expand. But today, nine in 10 adults have some component of the metabolic syndrome. And so this can occur, this can occur, these symptoms can occur invisibly. My mom, she was of normal weight, but she, her blood sugar could have perhaps been uh, elevated, her fasting blood sugar. Her A1C could have been higher than, than it should have been. She could have had elevated inflammatory markers. Um, she could have shown uh, an inflammatory um lipid phenotype, which is, it's not good. She could have had low HDL, which would, wouldn't be surprising given her avoidance of, of higher fat foods. Um, and in particular higher foods that contain saturated fat. So, uh, so 
That is to say that being a normal weight is not necessarily an indicator of health, just like not having a disease is not necessarily an indicator of health, right? Like health is much more than just not having a diagnosis. Health is, do you feel good? Are you digesting your food properly? Are you going to the bathroom uh, at least once a day? Are you um, able to navigate the world and, and, and feel robust and strong and flexible and pick something up off the floor? Are you able to pick yourself up off the floor? Are you able to hang from a bar? I mean, these are all, I think, really important indicators of health. Yeah that few people talk about. It's not just the, it's not just that you don't have any prescription drugs in your medicine cabinet. Mm. It's, are you robust as an organism? Are you resilient in the face of emotional stress, in the face of physical stress, in the face of pathogenic uh, threat? We're seeing, you know, we've seen over the past two years that, that many of us, many modern humans were, were simply unprepared for a rogue pathogen to come out and um, and stress test the global population, the the you know global health, and we've we've seen the disaster that that's been. So um, so that is a really good question, and I think it it comes back to it comes back to there are many there are multiple factors, but I think it's primarily food that the food supply has become increasingly processed to the point of being primar- of being largely ultra processed, and these are the kinds of foods that we eat day in and day out. We're also eating 16 hours a day, mm-hmm. which is biologically aberrant, particularly from a circadian standpoint. So we're eating from the minute we wake up until the until the second just before we hit the hay, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a problem. We're more sedentary than we've ever been before. We're not coping with, we don't have adequate means to cope with stress instituted in our lives. Many of us are underslept. I forget the statistics now, but so many of us are you know, sleeping for inadequate, um, duration, right? Like we're not, we're not getting adequate sleep and our, and, and when we are getting adequate sleep, sleep, our sleep quality isn't what it should be because we live in cities. And so light pollution is a massive problem. And we know that even low intensity light can impair next day cognitive function. So there, there are all these factors, um, and they all contribute. It's like, I said this in in genius foods that the modern world is like the hunger games and your brain is thrust into battle as the unwitting combatant weaponless. And so today that to me is like what, what, what the, the real responsibility that we have is to, um, is to try to do better, to try to hack the environment, to be more akin to the environment in which our brains and our bodies evolved because today it's become, it's become far removed from that and we're suffering as a result. We've been taught, one thing for most of our life, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, eat certain food groups, you know, you got the pie chart that tells you what food you should eat, when you should eat it, that sort of thing. That is a sort of Western diet that is prescribed to a lot of people. And you don't really question it. It's like, okay, well, this is a trusted medical body that is telling us to eat X, Y, and Z and when to eat it. And then yet we we still are unhealthy. We still feel crap because majority of it in in that food group consists of processed foods. <laughs> like you yeah, look yeah. at the the wheat and grains, and you just go down to the shop and you get so like a tip top here, which is our equivalent to white bread. You look at the ingredients, and the ingredients is like full of processed rubbish. It's not actual real bread. Um, and there's other contributing factors I know, but then you also mentioned sleep. 
how we're not getting enough sleep. And I've noticed that my sleep has somewhat declined over the course of my life. I used to be great at sleeping, but the more stress you have, the more I've noticed if I eat junk food, then I don't sleep as well the night before. And it just affects the gut, affects the immune system, affects the whole thing. And I read a, an alarming statistic the other day. I think it was um, kids uh, we've lost, I think, 80 minutes or something of sleep um, or thereabouts, which is a lot if you look at it. But I just think, yeah, what you're saying is is extremely true and we need to, we need to do better. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. we need to do better. Yeah. I mean, you brought up the dietary recommendations. I, uh, many people are familiar with the, the food pyramid, which is the paradigm that I kind of remember growing up with that implored us every day to consume between six and 11 servings of grains mm. a day. So just load up on grain products, right? That was the foundation of the, of the, of the food pyramid and make no mistake. Grains are a tool used to fatten cattle. It's cattle feed essentially. Now I'm not saying that grains are toxic or that there's no, yeah, that, that you should avoid grains at all costs. I, I certainly enjoy sushi with a little bit of white rice now and then, but they're a very energy dense food product. Um, they are nutrient depleted and grains in the role that most take in the Western diet these days are, are refined grains. They're processed refined grains. Um, now the food pyramid has been retired, thankfully, but we what it's been replaced by, at least in the U.S., is the my plate paradigm, which mm -hmm. still, depending on calorie needs, allows you to eat up to ten servings of grains a day, up to half of which can be refined, and a serving of grains is a slice of bread in accord mm -hmm. in accordance with that with that with the my plate paradigm. So you're basically still being told to eat up to ten slices of bread every single day, up to half of which are able to be white bread. So it's sending the wrong message, certainly. I mean, we're not we're not getting good, I think, nutrition guidance here. Um, and again, most of the most of the calories that people are consuming these days come from these shelf stable, packaged, processed foods that have minimal capacity to um, promote satiety. So they don't fill you up. They drive their own overconsumption because you you usually they possess a characteristic called hyperpalatability, which implies that they're very difficult to moderate. They're, they're very difficult to moderate. They push your brain to a bliss point beyond which self-control becomes futile. Um, usually combining sugar, wheat, fat, salt. Um, and that's actually why it's tricky to demonize any one of those, uh, one of those macronutrients. Sugar, for example, a lot of people say that sugar is, um, is addicting, but you know, you rarely see people walking around mainlining sugar, right? But it's when sugar added sugar is added to these, these hyper palatable foods. It's been called the Dorito effect, right? Mm -hmm. Or the baked potato effect. I mean, you can take a baked potato, a baked potato by itself is actually quite satiating yeah. and you wouldn't be prone to overconsume a baked potato. But the minute you start, the minute you throw on the butter, the salt, the sour cream, the bacon bits, it becomes this thing that's like better than sex on your tongue. Like it's the most amazing thing ever. Right. And so those are, those are the kinds of foods that people are consuming. You can go to Google images and search for the average week, uh, the, 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 the average, um, American or British families, uh, groceries for the week. And you'd be appalled at what you, at what you're going to find on Google images. There's literally like there's, there's, there was a photo series that was done. Um, 
I believe the American family is an African American family. The British family is like a is like a white family, and but the but the food the, it's basically the same. That they're that it's just this this insane preponderance of shelf stable, nutrient poor package processed foods. Mm. Oh, and, oh uh, it's crazy! It's a big man. problem. Yeah, I was watching the other day. I think you might find it interesting. Um, so fast food chains like the UK versus the US. And what they'll do is they will look at the ingredients list compared to say the UK versus the US. And it's interesting because uh, say, for example, you look at all the ingredients of the US compared to the UK and I got scared. <laughs> like I'm looking at them. Well, you gotta be kidding me. People are actually digesting that in their, in their guts. That's, that's something wrong with that. But another thing I, I wanted to mention is how you walk into the shops. I don't know what it's like for you in America, but here in Australia, they make the healthy foods more expensive and they put them in a place where it's difficult to find, firstly. And secondly, the cost of them is just ludicrous. It's like it should be the other way around, but it's not. And do you foresee that ever changing? It's been called, I think, the green tax or something. I hope it changes. I mean, here in the in the United States, I remember a time when kombucha was this niche health food product that most people they'd they'd ask you to repeat yourself because they just well, kombucha. What's that? Gesundheit, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, but now you can find kombucha at Walmart, for example, which is like this massive uh, chain store in the United States, just known for being like all around the United States in these small towns where most people do their shopping. You can now find organic at Walmart. You can find grass-fed beef in the freezer section at Costco, wild salmon. So I, I do think things are changing for the better. I think that it's it's owed to, in many ways, the work of people like you, Ryan, people like like me. You know, like we're 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 storytellers who are able to reach a large audience, whereas medical doctors are not able to. They're just they're, they don't know how to create compelling content and also medical doctors aren't experts in nutrition and many of them aren't even passionate about preventative medicine, right? They're passionate about getting a getting a diagnosis and writing a, a script on a piece of paper, right? Not all of them, of course, but um but so I, I really think that this is the this is when thinking about like what has my role been in in public health, it's really been about uh, getting people to have these conversations and awakening people up to the, 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 this idea that food quality really is everything. And that we've seen such a, there's been such a decline in terms of the quality of our food and that it really, it, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why, because we're driving demand, right? That supply, I think has really ramped up to, to satiate, uh, the demand food quality. I mean, just when talking about, um, why it's so important. A lot of people that are struggling with their weight, right? Today in the United States and increasingly around the world, two thirds of people here in the US are either overweight or obese. By the year 2030, 50% of people are going to be obese. So this isn't just an overweight. One in two people are going to be obese, okay? And many times people who are overweight, they've been through the ringer. They've tried crash diets. They're fed up with diet culture and rightfully so. I don't blame them. And I think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that what they're told over and over again is just to eat less, that losing weight is a function of just eating less, moving more, right? But the problem is when you try to eat less of these kinds of foods, ultra-processed, hyper-palatable foods, you are setting yourself up for failure because you're having to rely on your willpower, which is a finite resource. Willpower can only get you so far. 
you adopt a diet like a ketogenic diet or a low fat diet or whatever dietary flavor of the month it happens to be, maybe you'll be able to stick with it for a few days, a week, a month, but inevitably, inevitably it's not going to be something that you're going to be able to sustain if you, if all you're doing is trying to eat less of whatever the food is that you are already eating that got you overweight to begin with, right? Which for most overweight people, by and large, it's this, again, it's this preponderance of ultra processed foods. But what they've shown in a really brilliant study that came out in 2018, funded by the National Institutes of Health, is that by switching over, by just changing the quality of your food, it enables you to eat to satiety. So eat to a point where you feel like you're full and you're satiated by your food, which is what everybody wants, right? You don't want to walk away from the dinner table hungry. Nobody does. I don't want that. If you're, if you're lean, overweight, nobody wants that. And what they showed was that by increasing the quality of the food, meaning by eating primarily minimally processed foods, not these ultra processed packaged shelf stable foods, um, that subjects were able to effortlessly come in at a calorie deficit of about 300 calories. Conversely, when they were given these ultra processed foods to consume to satiety, they ate a 500 calorie surplus. If you eat 500 calories every single day for a week, that's a pound of fat gain every single week, right? And that 800 calorie swing was determined purely by the quality of the food that they were eating. So that's why I try to tell people to um, think think about food quality first. Don't try to put the cart before the horse by just eating less of what it is that you'll that of eating less of what it is that you're already eating. Mm-hmm. Try to increase the food quality. Eating fewer of these these hyper palatable junk foods that are combining the sugar, the salt, the fat, the wheat, all that stuff, mm-hmm. and and look to increase food quality. And there are a few a few really easy ways to think about about doing that, um, which we can which we can unpack if you want. But primarily, I would say protein is the most satiating tool to leverage prioritize protein it's the most satiating macronutrient what sort of protein should we be eating great question glad you asked i mean i'm a huge fan of grass-fed grass-finished beef which i know in australia you guys get correct me if i'm wrong but isn't it primarily grass-fed grass-finished beef in australia because you get it from like new zealand it should be (laughs) it should be yeah if if you're not getting that then i don't know what you're getting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here in the, in the U S on average, it's not that it's, it's, it's primarily factory farmed unless it explicitly states that it's grass finished. Uh, but I think, yeah, the, the, the meat situation here. Yeah. The meat situation here. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It tastes good, you know, cause these are cows that have been fattened up with grain. Um, and these are, that's primarily the kind of meat that you get when you go to a steakhouse, any steakhouse, but, um, grass finished beef is, in, in my estimation, a total cognitive health food. It's loaded with micronutrients like vitamin E, creatine, which supports brain energy metabolism. Um, you get a significant uh, amount of carotenoids like lutein and zeaxanthin, which we know can help protect neural tissue um, embedded in the fat of the beef. And of course, protein. Animal protein is, um, we can't underappreciate the value that high quality, highly digestible animal protein uh, has um, for the age, aging individual. It becomes increasingly difficult to grow and maintain mass, lean mass as we get older. And the ability to exercise, the ability to stay mobile and to move about the world is crucially important when it comes to, of course, I mean, of course, cardiovascular health, but brain health. Absolutely. And so insofar as 
protein has this ability to grow and maintain lean mass. I think it's uh, very important to make sure that we're keeping our protein up. Also, as people age, they develop anabolic resistance. So protein is one way to sort of circumvent that by making sure that you're getting a constant stream of high quality protein um, on a daily basis. What would you say to those people that say, look, if you have too much beef or if you have beef on say, a daily basis, that that affects your heart, your arteries, all those areas. And they'll basically say, look, beef isn't good for you. It contributes to X, Y, and Z of negative health rather than positive health. So get your protein from other sources. So what would you say to those sort of people? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not uh, of the mindset that eating excessively fatty meat is good is good for us, especially for people who are genetically prone to Alzheimer's disease. There tends to be uh, a, a predisposition for hypercholesterolemia, um, which which eating an excessive amount of saturated fat can no doubt um, exacerbate. So I uh, am of the opinion that generally I think that leaner um, is, is better for you uh, with regard to red meat. Also, it's, um, and I do enjoy a ribeye now and then. So just to be completely transparent and to disclose my own biases, like, uh, you know, I'm a, I enjoy red meat and I enjoy, um, I occasionally will enjoy a, a fattier cut, but cows are a man-made creation and they're, they're the fattiest that they've ever been throughout the, throughout the historical life of the cow, right? The, 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 the animal that, that, that we call a cow. If you compare cows to wild game, wild game is incredibly lean. Mm. Um, for example, kangaroos, kangaroo meat is incredibly lean. Uh, and, and even if you compare a grain finished cow to a grass finished cow, a grass finished cow is much leaner than a, than a grain fed cow. So to me, the, the fact that a cow, that when a cow is fed its biologically appropriate diet, it has less fat, less saturated fat. To me, that tells me something about the, about the relative ratio and proportion of fat that we're meant to have in the diet, right? Certainly some populations do seemingly thrive on, on very high animal fat diets. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but that being said, I think that the benefits of eating beef outweigh any risks because, again, beef is a very... It's a pristine source of protein, a wonderful source of myriad other micronutrients, zinc. We didn't even talk about zinc, um, iron, vitamin B12. And with every food, there's a there's a there's a there's a, a risk and a benefit, right? With every food. With kale, right? Mm -hmm. Like kale, depending on where it's grown, can absorb thallium from the ground, right? Chocolate. Chocolate is by and large a health food in a in uh, with regard to all of the evidence that I've reviewed on dark chocolate, mm. but chocolate can harbor heavy metals like lead and cadmium. So every food has, um, there's a, there's a downside to every food, right? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we have to weigh the, are, are the, do the benefits outweigh the risks, right? Fish is another fantastic example, right? Our oceans are increasingly polluted. We now see that fish from our, from what were formerly pristine oceans now are contaminated with microplastics. Many harbor heavy metals like like methyl mercury. Mm. When we look observationally with observation, popul observational population level evidence, we see that the benefits of eating fish outweigh the risks. The people who eat more fish seem to have better cognitive function. Their offspring seem to have better cognitive function. They seem to be protected against conditions like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. So we always have to be thinking in terms of um, benefits versus risks. And with regard to beef, I think that the benefits, the benefits outweigh the risks. Mm.
And it tastes great. <laughs> and, they and they taste great. Yeah. There was a really interesting study that came out of uh, Deakin University, which is in Australia. They have a food and mood center there, which is amazing. They're doing a lot of really great research, seminal work on um, nutritional psychiatry. So the role that food plays in mood. And what they found was that I believe in Australia, the national recommenda recommendations are three to four servings of beef a week. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that's it. And what they found was that women who did not consume that, either they consumed less than that, too little, or they consumed too much, they were at twice the risk of having a major mood disorder. So like major depression, for example. And um, so too little, they seem to have increased risk. And too much, they seem to have increased risk. So it seemed that some is better than none, right? That there's like a U-shaped curve, which there seems to be for everything, right? Everything that's good for us. Something that's that's good for us doesn't mean that like you can have too much of a good thing. And so I thought that was a very interesting study. And, and also what strengthened that relationship is that um, they didn't see that uh, that relationship for any other animal protein source. Okay. Um, they didn't see it for pork. They didn't see it for chicken. It was just beef. And we know that beef is rich in rich in nutrients that are benefit that are beneficial to the brain. Have you looked at the study where if you say you're eating at the dinner table with the family, you're actually having conversation, you're eating a meal. It actually helps digestion a lot more. Have you looked at that study? I haven't looked at that study, but it makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, that was talking about the connection that you have with individuals and, and how you become happier. And then it releases these hormones to stimulate digestion a lot quicker. And I was looking at that and I'm like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And especially because I need a, a little bit more time with beef, it would make sense for me to, you know, sit down and have a great conversation over a good meal, including beef. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just helped a lot better. better. But that study that you mentioned from Deacon just sort of sparked that, yeah, memory for me. But Interesting. Yeah. yeah, they're doing a lot of cool work over there. They also... Um, they published the SMILES trial, which is a really great randomized controlled trial. It's the first trial that ever used a dietary intervention to treat major depression. Wow. Which is, uh, which is again, a seminal, seminal piece of work. Yeah. If you ever have the opportunity, you should check out um, the researcher there is Felice Jacka. So she lives in your neck of the woods. Um, and go Australians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go Australians. She's one of the leading, leading researchers, most uh, widely cited uh, frequently cited researchers in the field of nutritional psychiatry. Oh, this is fascinating stuff, man. I'm curious. Have you had kangaroo before? I've never had kangaroo. Is that a widely consumed meat there? Uh, not for me. It's not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think a lot of other Aussies might have it. I don't know. Like, I don't see it in the shops where I go. Mm. But I was just curious if you've ever had it. But you're right. It is a leaner meat. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, you got this new book coming out, man, Genius Kitchen. Uh, you talk about several, you got a hundred recipes, I believe, in there. Uh, how hard was it for you to create or come up with a hundred recipes for this book that you classed as basically genius foods? Yeah. Well, I actually have a copy of the book right here, which is uh, cool because I just got it. I just got it two days ago. So I'm, still, I'm still getting used to seeing myself on the cover. I'm a little self-conscious <laughs> about it. But um, but yeah, no, I'm super excited. It was, you know, it wasn't easy, but these are recipes that I've amassed over the past 10 years of um, setting out, learning to cook. And obviously with Instagram, I've become, you know, I've, I've dipped my toe into this world of creating a lot more food content. But, but ultimately, 
what got me to start cooking more was when my mom got sick. She really, it was so important for her that we would routinely have family dinners, dinners with the whole crew. And uh, when my mom's dementia started to progress, being in the kitchen really became kind of a danger. Mm. Um, she really couldn't at that point tend to an open flame, handling a knife wasn't something that, you know, we, we wanted her to, we just wanted to minimize risk. Right. And so to keep that family tradition going, that's why I started to cook for my mom. I started to cook for my brothers. And also the more I would learn about nutrition, the more I would integrate my learnings into the meals that I would cook for them. And so I got really good at cooking foods like wild salmon, grass fed beef, um, various egg dishes. I also, you know, making vegetables delicious is something that's really important. I think most, most, I, I think men in particular, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I think most men in particular have a, an aversion to vegetables. And that's because it's just so hard to make them like really delicious. Either they're under seasoned, most, most veggie dishes you get are just underwhelming. They're not cooked properly or long enough. And so I wanted to feed my mom and I want to feed my brothers delicious foods. And so I really, it took many years of trial and error, but uh, over the years I've amassed a collection of recipes that I'm super proud of that are really delicious. And I love eating vegetables. I, I think vegetables can be made to taste delicious and, and not necessarily by processing them into uh, a fake meat, meat like product, but making them just, you know, knowing how to cook vegetables the way that vegetables ought to be cooked. Um, same with meat. Also, there are a lot of really great kitchen hacks that I talk about in, in the new book, Genius Kitchen, that can help people economize in a really effective way. So for example, uh, if buying the most pristine beef, for example, is off limits to you, you can buy cheaper cuts if you know how to cook them properly. Because cheaper cuts, they tend to have a lot more connective tissue, a lot more collagen, they tend to be a lot tougher. But all you got to do is cook them low and slow. And you can take even the cheapest cut of beef and make it really tender, like, and then like almost like a pull, have a, a, give them, give it like a pulled beef quality. And, uh, low and, and so, yeah, <laughs> low and slow, low and slow. It's crucially important. Um, I have an incredible recipe for ribs, baked, uh, barbecue ribs with a dry rub in the book. Um, I have a few brisket recipes and the key to making any of these dishes good is to cook them low and slow. It's an, it's an art that, Low and slow cooking is an art that we've essentially lost, like many arts, because we're so frequently on the go and we want our meals now. Yep. But um, if you just have a few hours of prep or you live the kind of lifestyle where you can put something in the oven in the morning before you go to work um, and to let it, you know, on a really low temperature, just cook for hours all day, what you end up getting at night, you know, later on that day is really something special. Yeah. Um, better, better than like most restaurant food. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, these are, these are all recipes that I've, I'm just so proud of. And like my brothers, like, you know, will beg me to make my ribs, for example, or, um, some of the brisket dishes that I have. Um, I've got a few bone broth dishes in the book. One of my favorite, uh, dishes is actually, um, growing up in New York city, I, routinely would go to these pizza places, these like mom and pop pizza shops, and they would serve they would have uh, Jamaican beef patties. Wow. Have you ever had a Jamaican beef patty? No. Uh, so it's like this thing that's like, it's very common to buy, or at least it was back when I was growing up in pizza shops in New York City. Um, and they're so tasty, but God knows what they were made with. <laughs> Unhealthy oils, trans fats, 
refined wheat flour, who knows? But I've completely recreated the flavor uh, of the Jamaican beef patty, and I call it a pattyless Jamaican beef patty. And I use nutritional yeast, which is this product that vegans are familiar with, but not enough omnivores know about how amazing nutritional yeast is. And so nutritional yeast gives it sort of like the patty texture and, and flavor. It's got this really um, delicious flavor enhancing like umami vibe to it. And uh, it's one of my favorite dishes. Um, I could eat that all day. And it, it, it uses uh, ground beef, which, you know, I like to use grass finished uh, ground beef and all super healthy ingredients. Um, like all the recipes in my book, I've picked ingredients that are very nutrient dense, found in most supermarkets, um, don't cost an arm and a leg, highly accessible. That's like the whole thing for me is I want people to be people, no matter where they are in the world, to be able to create these recipes. Man, that nutritional yeast is a godsend. Like yeah. some of the best stuff ever. It makes pretty much anything bad taste good. <laughs> I love it. And I, I, yeah, I eat dairy, but I, I find myself reaching for nutritional yeast way more often than like Parmesan cheese or anything like that. It's just so good. It's so nutrient dense. It's a good protein source. You put on your cereal, which is weird, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That I've never heard of. You put on your cereal. Maybe that's just me. It's, I'm just a weird flavor dude. Like my, my taste buds, man, would shock you. <laughs> the things that I'd put. Interesting. <laughs> I combine. <laughs> Interesting. I will say that. <laughs> oh my God. I, I will say it's nutritional yeast is amazing on eggs. It's amazing in salads, eggs, salads, beef, most beef dishes. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really great product. I go through a lot of it. Not every, I don't, I mean, I use it not too frequently in the book. Um, cause you might not be into nutritional yeast, but if you haven't heard of it, it is, it's, it's great. It's a really great product. Yeah. If you haven't trust us, go and get it. And yeah, if you're, if you're game to do my thing, then give it a go. But if you're not, then just follow Max. <laughs> <laughs> but what, a few, two more questions for you, man, if you don't mind. Of I'm course. sure people are sort of wondering, okay, you're calling a genius kitchen and genius foods. What sort of classifies uh, a food as, as being genius? Great question. So genius foods is a term like superfood that has no scientific uh, backing. It's just a term that I invented. Um, but these are the foods that when looking at the scientific literature for years and analyzing the kinds of diets that are that are associated with neuroprotection and then have a strong footing in terms of mechanistic plausibility that these foods are they contain ingredients that we know are going to strengthen either the brain's protection against stress, which some degree of is inevitable today, or provide building blocks that are going to help your brain create healthy new brain cells, that these foods are really the kinds of foods that people ought to integrate in their diet, if not on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, or a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. There was also um, research that I stumbled upon out of Tufts University here in the US that found that people who uh, the healthiest people tend to buy a narrower range of foods, and they just buy those foods on loop. You know, so there's this there's this dogma I think within the nutritional orthodoxy that all foods fit, all foods are you know everything in moderation. Just eat everything in moderation. But the science shows that people who ad ad adhere more closely to that advice tend to eat more junk food. Yep. They drink more sugar sweetened beverages. They eat more dessert products. And so I was like, all right, all right, I'm gonna. 
I'm going to do my own meta analysis of you will, if you will, and find the foods that, that if people were to just buy on loop, you can base your whole diet around these 10 genius foods, then you're going to be very well served. They're foundational in terms of the Mediterranean dietary pattern associate, uh, adoption of which is associated with robust risk reduction for Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. Um, they provide myriad um, important brain supportive micronutrients. They make sense from an evolutionary and ancestral lens, which I think is really important um, and, and not something that is often uh, considered um, within the, the, the medical literature at large, right? Like for like the fact that like, people somehow have this belief that grains are essential for human health um makes no sense right it doesn't make any sense like yeah our paleolithic ancestors probably had access to some 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 degree of of, of grain and they certainly ate tubers but their diets were by and large loaded with fiber and they weren't eating all the time and they certainly weren't eating the refined processed grains that that most humans are today right so so these are the foods, the 10 foods. And just to list a few of them off, they're really easy to find foods, avocados, grass-fed beef, eggs, berries, dark chocolate, um, wild salmon, uh, extra virgin olive oil. Those are the foods that, uh, that I, most dishes um, focus on. They have one genius food taking center stage, whether it's, and many of them have multiple, but whether it's extra virgin olive oil, like I have a recipe for an extra virgin olive oil olive oil ice cream in the book which is what? insane yeah it's insane it's like if you if you i mean it's got a it's got a, a, a vanilla vibe to it but if you can imagine a sort of vanilla extra virgin olive oil um hybrid it's that it's really good i also have an extra virgin olive oil cake in there which is amazing all grain free gluten free um and and lower in carbohydrates no sugar no added sugar um you're bloody genius yeah. I mean, it's, that's the thing, man, because people like, we have this weird vision of what the Mediterranean diet is supposed to look like. Right. But when you go to the Mediterranean diet, when you go to the Mediterranean and you go to a kitchen, um, of just, you know, your average person who has a more traditional lifestyle in, uh, in any of those countries that would be considered, um, you know, in, in pro proximity to the med, to the Mediterranean, you see that extra virgin olive oil is the only oil that they're using. They're not using any corn oil, canola oil, soybean oil, any of these crap oils that we've been told for decades at this point to, uh, to adopt, right? Um, they cook more simply. They, uh, they, they use fewer ingredients, but there's a focus on quality. Um, so those are all the kinds of learnings that I've tried to integrate into my, into my recommendations. And, um, and yeah, I think people are really going to like them. Well done, man. Honestly, congratulations on creating something like this for people. Where do you want them to get a copy of it and connect with you, learn learn more about the amazing work that you're doing before I ask you the final question? Oh, man. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, well, people can go pick it up at GeniusKitchenBook.com, um, which is where they'll find links to all the different stores, but they can ultimately find it at uh, whatever their bookstore is of choice. Love supporting local bookstores. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram at Max Lugavere and that's spelled L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. -E. And, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I also host my own podcast, which is called the genius life. Amazing. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you and get a copy of your new book. 
Max, this is my all-time favorite question that I ask everyone at the end of all my conversations. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. You're a filmmaker, so I think you might appreciate this, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life. Oh man. Well, I would hope that people, <sighs> such a good question, that there's an appreciation for the fact that I always, that I consistently lived aligned with my truth and that I, um, that I've always acted in accord in accordance with my values. That I that I never, I never strayed from those values. That I that I was always honest and transparent in my objectives, and that I always had that I lived honestly, and that I that I that I always had um, impacting in some way making an impact for the greater good in some way at the core of what it, what it was that I was doing with my life. You know, my, my work is very much about, I love what I do. I feel I wake up every day and I'm excited and I have a lot of fun doing what I do. But at the end of the day, my hope really is to help people get healthier. Um, because I, I know that so many of us are struggling with our health and the fact that my mom is, as I mentioned, the person in my life who is my, who serves as my North star. I mean, it's just the most, uh, I don't, it's like honesty is the only, is the only option that I have. And so I just hope that people, um, people see that, you know, I mean, I, I think that everything that I, that I'm offering into the world, like it's, it's all the best work that I can do. And I'm very proud of it. And, you know, maybe 20 years from now, the science will say, oh, Max, you know, everything you advised was incorrect. You know, red, red meat was never good for us. Fish is, you know, it's too polluted now. Like our oceans, like people should just go on these crazy, people should just be drinking Soylent or, or whatever, you know, whatever the, whatever the product du jour is, um, then I'll say, okay, well, given the information that I had and, and, and my desire for truth, I, I did the best that I could. Um, but, but yeah, that's all, that's to me, all that it's about is just doing the, doing the best that, that one can with the information that one has and, um, and just staying honest and, and truthful. It's a great send off message for people to, to absorb. But Max, thank you so much for your time, man, and all the, the wisdom, the advice, and all the work that you are doing and putting out there into the world. I acknowledge it. I appreciate it. You've helped me quite a bit with a lot of the great information and facts that you do put out on social media. People, go follow him on social media if you want. He's, uh, he's fun. <laughs> Let's just say that. But Max, thank you so much for your time, man, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, brother. It was a treat. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. 
It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.